Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners and a few surprise guests. Today, we are speaking with Illustrators of the Future winner from Writers of the Future Volume 30, Cassandra Bolin. Welcome, Cassandra. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so, um, Yours has been in a career I've really enjoyed following since um, I first met you back in Volume 30. You had two pieces of art which were just amazing. The one that you did for Beneath the Surface of Two Kills with that beautiful horse that you did. And then the other one you did for the Push Bike Legion, uh, Mm -hmm. which is like you had to have lived in some country where there's sand dunes in order to do such an amazing (laughs) job of that. So we'll, I did, actually. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get into how that could be. So anyway, um, tell me a bit about yourself as an artist. Okay. Um, I've always been an artist. I don't think I've ever been anything else. So I guess I'm one of those that grew up drawing from like when I could hold a pencil. And that's just kind of always been it. Um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom and always very supportive. Um, and my dad, as I got older and... It, obvious, it was always obvious I was going to be an artist. He was always okay with that. He was never like, oh, we have to do something that makes money. Oh, that's um, good. So, yeah, my parents were really great growing up. And I just, actually, since I'm in midlife and I overthink way too much about my identity and how it's changing, you know, the, <laughs> know how that is. Since, since that's been happening the last few years, I've often wondered what would have happened if I wasn't an artist. And um, I guess what I've been finding out is that the the actual output you do, the music or the play or the um, painting, whatever it is you do is just like the surface. Um, it's just all the stuff underneath and being a normal person and a human and like your feelings and your stories, all of that is actually the art. So um, your art is your life pretty much. Wow. And, and I know that because uh, my art's changed a lot in my style. I can flip back and forth between different styles. Um, and it, it's always the same me. So, and when I talk to other creatives, that's kind of the same thing. Oh, but I'm getting off tra- topic. I can really ramble. So how did I start with my art? <laughs> so I've always <laughs> And uh, when I went to college, I obviously did art. And I did all the, I loved cheesy fantasy stuff. So I, like, indulged in all the cheesy stuff that I loved and copied paintings. I did all the things you start when you, you know, start out. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say when I was younger, I was focused more on gaining technical skill, and that was the most important thing to me. Um, Then I didn't really have anything to say yet, per se. I was not one of those young artists that has big things to say and, like, um, knows exactly what they want to do yet with their art. That took a while. That took, like, midlife and kids and changing a lot. And then I started to have some things to say, and I started to do more really personal work instead of just commission. Got it. Um, so, yeah, in, I mean, the last 10 plus years I've been doing freelance. Um, that's its own journey, you know, because I had to kind of learn business. And I'm really airy-fairy in my head. So that was that was, um, that was a learning curve. <laughs> but I'm better at that now. And it does come down to intuition a lot, too, intuition and experience. So anybody can do that part. Even if you're not great at it like me, you can still kind of handle it and hold it down. Right. So, and then, yeah, go another, ahead. Oh, sorry, you can go ahead in a minute. I'm almost done with this one. Okay. I have notes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, 
then another big thing with my art was when I was younger, I kind of, I lacked um, some motivation and discipline. I just kind of took it for granted, I guess. And also I was busy like being young and once in a while going to a party and kind of figuring life out. But uh, when I became a mom that, and I was pregnant, I remember being really, really, really terrified that my life was going to end, that it was never going to do art again. And that was my huge, like, burst of motivation that I kind of got my career going, actually. I thought it was going to end, and I was like, no, this is not going to happen. So um, when I had my baby, I started actually taking it really more seriously. So it was a big thing. Okay. Okay, I'm ready for the next one now. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So... I guess, how did you find out then about the Illustrators of Future contest that it was published in 2014, so then you would have won in 2013? How did I find out? It's a bit fuzzy, but I, I remember somebody telling me about it. And the way that I was when I was younger is I was always a bit afraid to try for things because I was afraid to fail. Yeah. Um, a bit of a perfectionist and that kind of thing. So I was never the type that would just go into contests and enter them all the time. It always really made me nervous because I felt like if I didn't win, I'd fail. So, uh, <laughs> but I just did. I, I remember trying to change that and just deciding to enter anyway. And I was like, well, okay. And I, I made it like a light deal so I wouldn't be too disappointed. But I didn't believe it when I won. I actually thought it was not real. Wow. Joni called me and I had to like Google her. I was like, what is going on? Is this for real? <laughs> I guess to the outside point of view, when you see something like that happen, like a nice, a nice break, a lucky break, um, it just seems so easy. Like, oh, they're lucky. But of course, before that and since then, there's years and years of normal life and normal worries and money stress and family stress, and marriage stress and like happy days and you know, wonderful nights. So it's just a big mix of things that doesn't pop out of air. It's, you, you have to slog a lot and have a lot of normal days once in a while. You get a really nice sunny day and you win a contest. <laughs> that was your sunny day. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So now when you came out to uh, Hollywood, um, you had the, uh, for about a week or so, you had the, the workshop and then the awards event. Anything that particularly stands out for you as most memorable during that week? Um, the people. Everybody was so happy and so nice. <laughs> And the winners and the host and everybody. And I was a little, I guess, nervous because I guess most mostly it was the ceremony, like the, the speaking out loud and all that. But yeah. Um, and I wasn't really sure what to expect. But I don't know. I, whenever creative people get together, it's so much fun. And, and like I said, everybody was so warm and welcoming. It felt very easy. So, yeah. Were there any, um, of the ju- any of the judges that were like most... You were most looking forward to meeting? You know what? I went into it without really knowing too much who anybody was. And I think that helped because I had a lot of really fun surprises. Because then when I met them, then I realized afterwards I looked at their stuff and I was like, oh, oh, they're really cool. You know (laughs) what I mean? Yeah. And um, again, just that was just more lucky surprises and sunny days and happy things that happened. Well, that's great. So when you... um now, when you did those initial two paintings there in volume, uh, in the first volume, the, um, I had mentioned at the beginning of this thing here, of this interview here, the, uh, the sand dunes in the background. So, so what is your experience with sand dunes that these are so, it's like, I'm, I can see it. It's, it's for real. 
Um, yeah, so I've always kind of had a love affair with the Middle East. I was there when I was younger because my dad was in the Army and we moved. And um, then after college, right after college, I ended up just meeting a guy and, and ended up moving to Dubai. So I was in Dubai for on and off for 10 to 12 years. Um, and I just kind of stayed there and it was really nice. And like I said, I've always, I've never really, I've never really wanted to stay anywhere too long. I've always been a mover because um, I was used to it and I love international stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that just happened and I loved it. And I've always liked deserts too. I've had a lot of experience in deserts when I was younger. Um, and then the, the dunes were my one of my favorite places in Dubai. I love camping there. Um, and I would, I kind of lived on the outskirts of Dubai, you know, the neighborhoods right on the edge of the desert. Yeah. And so if I drove out um, about 10 minutes from where I was staying, then I could sit in the dunes and just like sit there and look at the skyline of Dubai far away and just think about stuff. And just, it's like being in nature. It's like here we would go to a forest. So there I went to the dunes. They're pretty magical and dreamy. Yeah, what's and, a, yeah. Yeah, what's amazing just, about because I've been to Dubai and I remember flying in, it was just like you have desert, 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 then you have this green oasis. And it's <laughs> it's it's obviously that's man made because after being there and seeing it, the wind blowing, if they didn't constantly keep it cleaned, it would be overrun by sand in uh, not that long of a time. It would be very quickly, and it it constantly happens, like you said. Um, there, yeah, sand will get everywhere. We'll get in your apartment. We used to leave the door open all the time. You would have sandstorms, which sounds scary, but basically that just means it's foggy with sand for like a couple of days, and it, it you're, it's always between your toes. There's fine sand like on the carpet. You breathe it in. Some people have respiratory problems. Yeah, there's sand everywhere. It's a way of life. Yeah. <laughs> there, there um, if you drive out of the desert and you go into the more rural areas out of Dubai and then I have literally seen people whose job it is to sweep the streets like clean the sand in the parking lots and stuff like that yeah I mean it would seem like that would be a, a full-time job mm-hmm. yeah and the sand dunes do move by the way slowly but yeah it's interesting right yeah, I guess the, the, the Burj Khalifa is at least guaranteed it'll, it'll survive any uh, major storms. It'll, it'll still stick up over the top of them. <laughs> Hopefully, but I, I mean, if it's still, big buildings have to be flexible. They have to blow in the wind, so as long as it's flexible enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I've been, like I said, following you and seeing your career in art, which I just absolutely you know, love your art. So now in volume 36, you illustrated Owen Hubbard's story, Borrowed Glory. Uh, first of all, you know, your, your piece of art is just, is again, as I expect it to be, is absolutely stunning. And when people flip through, they go, wow, she should be the gold award winner. I said, yeah, well, she's a past winner. So yeah, she's a cut above. She's like really, really, really good. It's just a beautiful picture you've got in there. Of borrowed glory. Now, when you Thank read that, when you read this story, or or the, what was it about it that made it easy for you to, or or that provided the incentive for you to uh, do this illustration? You know, in general, during that time in my life, so when you told me about the commission, I was like, oh, of course. And sometimes those little serendipities in life happen, 
um, I had another commission like that too. But anyway, at that time in my life, I was a bit, a bit like down, a bit depressed, uh, really like thinking about mortality, stuck in a midlife crisis. I'm probably still in it on and off, to be honest. I mean, I'm like, <laughs> I'm in my thirties. It's part of my thirties. Okay. Um, but, you know, like, think about marriage, time, times in my life. Do I have any regrets, which they do with the rest of my life? Like, am I missing anything? Um, and, and I guess I can see my, I can see parts of myself in the main character where I'm, I'm worried that, like, I'm going to have regrets, so I need to step it up. And that's kind of the lesson of the story that I really enjoyed. And then um, I got to say, though, like, with all that emotional stuff going into it, I was yeah. like, this is going to be weird. And it was kind of weird because I did the photo shoot of myself as the young one and the old one. So I had to paint myself old. <laughs> wow. No, because yeah. the, the young one so, is so beautiful. And it was like, so that's how you, can, how you vision yourself when you're old. Because I can totally see you there as the young one, but then as the old one. Oh, I, I was both. I mean, at least I was happy as the old one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, it would have been a little strange stranger but um i mean i i really like really deep themes that are philosophical and like about the meaning of life and i love to talk about that like i will talk anything zero off about that and i love listening to lectures about it thinking about it so um yeah it was it had a lot of deep themes that were fun to play with and i mean everybody's preoccupied with death it's like quite a bit of human so it right. was a very interesting painting so anything about anything about um, uh, Mr. Hubbard's storytelling that made it easier or that made it very easy for you to like, oh yeah, this is exactly what I'm going to uh, to paint. I went with a lot of my gut first instincts as to how it looked, and I happened to have the perfect dress because I I end up thrift shopping for costumes all the time to use for my photo shoots. Um, so I had this really cool like 1930s vintagey gold dress. Um, I guess one of the main things was <laughs> I was like shiny dress. I have to use it because I've been waiting to use that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it does make for a really great color scheme because gold is so reflective, so you can pull a lot of things in it. And gold is also a great metaphor because we're gonna get all you know symbolic yeah. analogies and everything. So I really wanted to use that dang dress. Um, and then also you have uh, I used a clock and a coffin. There were a lot of images that I could pull story that would be very symbolic and add some deeper layers of meaning. Um, and then, yeah, when I when I thought of Fading Glory or Borrowed Glory 2, and there's a female character scene, I was looking for some kind of symbol to show the passage of time and how it's flowing, because I wanted it to be active and a whirlwind and exciting, because that's how it felt for her. Yeah. So then I, I pulled the rose petals in to give it a lot of movement, and they match her dress. So, you know. No, it's just a, it's a brilliant piece of art, and it's just, I love it. Well, it was, a, it was really fun to experiment. The art direction was really fun, and they gave me a lot of room to play. Uh, usually with my commissions, I'm kind of known for being, like, it's tighter detail, and it takes like 80 hours, and it's just like, I do the really intense, heavy stuff. But to be honest, my personal taste, I really like loose brush strokes and, you know, the, the looser things. So uh -huh. I got to play with that because they let me. <laughs> um, and that was amazing. And I, it was a, as far as the style, I got to control a lot of it myself. And so I liked it a lot more than, I guess, some other commissions where it has to be really tightly rendered. Right, right. So, um, yeah, it's just, 
You know, I really love that, that piece of art. So anything from the um, workshop that you did then when you were out here in, in uh, Hollywood, any of the particular um, essays from Mr. Hubbard that stand out for you or that you find are more significant than others? We, we recently launched a, a Writers of the Future uh, writing workshop, and we put, uh -huh. and we put the, um, the Hubbard essay in there called Art More About. And it's interesting how the writers have been so like, this is my favorite essay. It's just, it's one of the most popular essays from, we've got about 4,000 people on the course right now, and that's what surveys out as one of the highest because of, you know, what he talks about there, the quality of communication and that what they're doing is they're creating art with their, with their words, which they weren't necessarily thinking with, you know. So any particular essay that, that you remember that stands out? You know, not a particular essay, but I guess a general feeling that I could see reflected in everybody there, too, is just that you, I felt like everybody there actually believed that art and writing it can change the world and the way people think. Um, and to have, to be with other people that take that so seriously was really nice, whether it's um, everybody who wrote the essays, Hubbard, people that were at the contest, everybody attending, the other winners. Um, I felt like that was when unifying deeper feeling. Yeah. And um, I don't usually get that in daily life with most people I interact with. And I'm a huge mythology nerd, so I feel like everybody there wants to create new mythologies and just keep the... Um, keep that tradition going. Well, that's great. That's great. So since having um, one, we've talked a little bit about your commission that you did in, in uh, the most recent volume, Writers of the Future, but what what is your trajectory taking? Because you said you went from, I guess, doing mostly commissions. Now you're doing a certain type of work and now you're doing more commissions. And then how is that working for you during this current time period? <laughs> this current time period, I'm still chasing commissions. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I've become. It's more an internal change. It's not some. It's probably not something you see on the outside because life is kind of tough and tight right now. I mean, between homeschooling kids and all of this and working at a cafes at the moment, yeah, it's hard to get work done. And I'm I'm doing commissions, but but I had this internal change from a couple years ago, and it gets stronger the more that it goes on. That I actually really want to take my personal stuff much ser much more seriously. Um, and and it, it, I'm also I'm also kind of going back to roots that I had when I was a child. Um, I really loved animation movies. I love animated stories and TV shows. It's all I watch with my kids. So instead of only doing paintings now, I move, I'd love to move into stories and storytelling. Um, and of course, art's very useful for that. Anything I do in animation or movies or books or whatever will need art. Um, but like I said, my art, I think of my life as the art and the stories. Um, and the art is just what you do with it. So I'll, I'll make the art do whatever it needs to do. But basically, um, the last couple years, uh, like in my head and on the side, I've been working on retold fairy tales. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of been my therapy. I started just doing it because I liked it. And then the more I've been making up the stories and rewriting the stories, I've <laughs> found out a lot about myself. Um, I... I I think I do better when I speak in like symbolic story terms because it's hard to just say flat out what the emotion is. So it's kind of been my therapy. I've been re rewriting that and um, it's helped me figure out some of my own, I guess, life issues and 
find out more about myself. So I hope it will help people whenever I get to tell the story. Um, but I have to take an active steps to do that. I've teamed up with a partner who works in animation and knows much more about it than me. Um, and I, I guess at this time in my life, it's also about people and putting more emphasis on friendships. Um, and a lot of clients that I've had over the years have become friends and mm -hmm. a lot of friends have become clients and all of that. So I'm trying to work more on deepening relationships and um, just working on my personal project. And it's like, I've always thought of passion projects as babies. So this baby is way overdue. And I've had, <laughs> so I know what that feels like. I'm like, this has to get out now. I don't care how. Cut it out of me. Like, it's coming. So, yeah, I can, I can kind of be a procrastinator sometimes. But I think it's ready. And I'm making up some pictures to take to places. And I've got a couple original children's books that have been optioned. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, it's just really hard to find time in between commissions and kids. And obviously kids and family has to be a big priority. For sure. So, yeah, I mean, the whole mom time balance thing, you're never going to learn how to balance the time. It's never going to be right because I can't figure it out. I think you just kind of keep trying the best you can. So is it, a, is it the, uh, the passion for the art that keeps you, no matter what other life is throwing at you, um, that keeps you creating art because it's just, it is who you are or how's it work? Cause I'm, I'm also looking at other people listening to you, how this might apply to them in their personal situation. Both completely. So, um, uh, when I've tried to integrate my life into art, I found you can do one or the other, right? So when life's like hard and you're just overwhelmed, I, I look at that as input. So I, like, Whatever life is throwing at me, whatever I'm learning, whatever I'm dealing with or struggling with is my material. Like, it's my soil. So I just input and I don't worry about making it into anything yet. But then once you have a breather and you feel okay, you can start to push out some art and analyze things and uh, figure it out and make stuff. So I've been I've been cycling through that for a couple of years, like inputting, outputting, inputting, outputting. Um but, and I would say that kind of mirrors the way it feels like. Art feels like a conversation for me. So the drive, so you have part of yourself to share, right? And you don't want to feel alone. And then you realize that other people need to hear it. But you also have that need to communicate with them. It's kind of a mutual, beneficial thing. But humans have been doing it since cave paintings. Um, and I, I love talking about how movies or art or stories can change you from the inside out. Uh-huh. And I, again, I love mythology and fairy tales. I feel like those influences have uh, shaped society and society shapes them. Anything like that is an organic process that goes back and forth and each one changes the other. So the motivation, it's like a, what is the word for it? It's in motion. So it powers itself, you know? Yeah. It's give and take. So if I tell somebody about the project... Then they get excited, I get excited, and that helps give me fuel to keep going, and it kind of bounces back and forth. Going at it yourself without talking to anybody about it is kind of hard. I've been doing that for like a lot of years. So. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, I would do it no matter what, always. It's yeah. just kind of that desire is always burning inside. I get it. Like in terms of advice or tips for the aspiring artist or illustrator, Looking back now, because you definitely have the curve that you've been going through, um, mm -hmm. it, what life lessons do you have that you can share with the other aspiring artists or illustrators? I guess I would say to try to be really kind to yourself. 
and to just keep going. So it's obvious that you have to keep going, right? Because that increases your chances statistically of anything happening. Um, but also sometimes it's hard and you stop for a while. Um, maybe you an identity crisis and or you don't know even what to paint and you're like, I don't know what I care about. So great, go out in life and like figure out what you care about. Um, yeah, be forgiving yourself. Everybody makes mistakes. The other thing is, it never really quite feels like you've made it, even when you've made it. And I'm sure you've heard the term imposter syndrome being thrown around and like yeah. art circles, stuff like that. So if everybody just kind of helps push each other up a little bit and encourage each other, um, it's great. But you're never gonna, it's never, you're never gonna get to the level and for very long be like, oh my god, everything's perfect now. It's been perfect from here on out. Like, I did it. It's easy. I'm retired. <laughs> that never really <laughs> happened. Luckily, it keeps it interesting. Um, but I, I have been really grateful for what I've had, and I'm really, really, really lucky. I have a really fulfilling job, and uh, like I said, all my clients, I never have to work with people that I don't enjoy working with. Everybody's always really amazing. All my clients have been very passionate about the same thing. Um, I think any anybody that is an artist is really lucky to have something that's so connected to who they are. It just makes it easy. It makes it makes all the difficult things easier. <laughs> that's good. That's good because that's I think um, artists themselves, by the very nature of that industry, open their soul. They bear their soul and they can open themselves up as, as a result to others that just want to suck the life out of them, that they themselves can't have that type of creativity, so they'll, they'll, they'll leech onto someone else and pull out of them. So it's good that you've been able to deal with and, and work with people who have... Oh, yeah, that, that could definitely happen. I mean, luckily, in my experience, I've had the opposite. I mean, whenever I open up or share something more vulnerable, um, I just get... Usually, with a lot of artists, you get a pretty good response. Yeah. Because um, people like honesty. I haven't had too many haters yet. We'll see if that happens later. Well, that's. But, I mean, that's that's very yeah, good. I, yeah, it is. It's been very fulfilling. Have and, you uh, Have you ever like rejected jobs because of person was um, you don't want to work with them? They're just they weren't good people. Um, like I said, I guess at this stage too, I've been really lucky. I think maybe in the first few years there might have been a few things like that, but they were little projects. And even though they might have seemed big then, in the whole scheme of things, at this point it was it was little and not a big deal. I chalk it up to learning. I was like, great, I learned something. Okay, move on. Yeah, that's good. Um, no, I would say I've been overwhelmingly really lucky. Um, I tend to have a pretty optimistic view of people because most people I meet are really nice. A lot of times I found that to be a reflection of the person themselves. So that if that's what you're finding in people, that's what you yourself put out. That's what you are too. So that's Aww, good. <laughs> yes. So with respect to somebody, you know, discovering Cassandra Bolin, how, how would they go about finding you? Oh, okay. So CassandraBolin.com. And I have a, a Greek name with a French spelling. So it, the E will trip you up, but it's C-A-S-S. A N D R E, and then my last name is B O L A N dot com. So CassandraBolin.com. Um, I also have an art station that I'll put some pieces up. So actually, I really need to update it. So I'm glad that this is kind of a reason to do that because it's been <laughs> <for> so. <laughs> 
So I will update it today so everybody can look. Oh, great. And um, it's been nice uh, having this interview with you with, and sharing with all the other uh, music there at Panera Bakery. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes. To anybody out there working in cafes. Yes. Hey. <laughs> I've been doing that for years. So doing the cafes to, and then doing your painting and your illustration around that. Oh, yeah. Yes. When I, I love oil paint. I used to do that. But when I had kids, I switched over to digital because I, you know, I mean, yeah. oil paint's toxic. I didn't want to have to clean it up. And to be honest, like life situations, the last few years, I've been living with family members, friends, bouncing back and forth. I'm on a road trip now in a camper. Um, when I was in Dubai, I was working out of a Starbucks that was a blacked out from my kids' daycare. So I'd drop them off at daycare and go work at Starbucks. Um, I've always been pretty transient and I've never really had a place to like set up, set up. So my studio is in my backpack pretty much. Wow, that's very convenient then with digital. Yeah, it is. And you know, there are a lot of perks to that. Um, I'm lucky enough to be able to move anywhere like I want. So. Right now, I'm just kind of road tripping across the states, working in cafes. Um, I can move overseas if I want. I like not being tied down location-wise. So art's also great for that. Yeah, it is. Well, this has been great speaking with you, Cassandra. Yeah, it was. Um, it's nice to have a place to talk to about myself. That's always kind of, sometimes that feels weird, right? Talking about yourself. Yeah. But, but it's important because yeah. there's other people like you out there who maybe need a little bit of direction or a little bit of like reassurance, which is what the original purpose of the contest when created by Owen Hubbard was to provide. So, you know, you're a living embodiment of the importance of the continuation of the arts. So that's great. Oh, definitely. And the emotional support for, for people in such a, I guess, interesting and up and down and roller coaster of a career is, uh, is really important. I'd say it's, even more important than money a lot. Like just meeting, talking with other people that are doing the same kind of thing and just letting them know it's normal. And like, you know, you learn to ride with it, you get used to it, it gets easier. Uh, that's important. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. And everybody listening, thank you very much. Subscribe to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Rise of the Future podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeart, and Spotify. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elrond Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. And again, thank you very much, Cassandra. Thank you, John. It was fun. 